0: A quick word before we start. Unforkable is rebranding. The new name of this podcast is Defire. It's an amalgamation of defi and fire. You know, like the personal finance trend, the fire movement. I will continue to interview interesting players and personalities in crypto, but also experiment with different formats. Anyways, if you are already subscribed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this, You don't have to do anything. The only thing that will be changing for you is that the logo is changing over the coming days. So look out for the new DeFi logo when the next episode drops.
1: really it sounded to me like his friends were getting scammed like spending (laughs) thousands of dollars for a jpeg and i i really legitimately thought they were just getting deeper and deeper into a ponzi scheme or some (laughs) elaborate scam and i just couldn't wrap my head around it
0: you hold nfts worth more than a million us dollars right now
1: yeah it's really ridiculous four months ago when i first got into nfts my entire crypto portfolio was less than 100k
0: Hello and welcome to Defire. My name is Jonas and today on the show we hear the story of Roy, alias Seneca33. That's how he is more widely known on crypto Twitter. Roy recently turned full-time NFT trader investor and before that he was a professional poker player for 15 years. Usually I try to cut down these episodes to under one hour, but Roy had so many fascinating stories about NFTs, poker playing, how to stay mentally healthy, and industry insights to share that I figured, hey, let's just release the whole thing. Please enjoy my conversation about NFTs, investing and more with Roy, alias Seneca33. Let's start this thing. Welcome to the show, Roy. Thanks for having me. I stumbled upon you actually on Twitter, and you were sharing some, some insights about the crazy NFT trading life and that it can be quite taxing. And I think it would be interesting to start with your Twitter persona, Seneca.
1: Yeah, I can give you the backstory. I created this Twitter account in, I think, February or March. Before that, I had a previous account. That was sort of my personal account. I, I was a professional poker player before I got into NFTs. So I, you know, I tweeted about poker and, and some other things, and I, I noticed that a lot of people in the NFT space and the crypto space were having these either anonymous accounts or pseudonymous accounts for one reason or another. And I just, I guess, I thought it would be cool and interesting to try this new personality, or this not even a new personality. It was still just me, but just this new. Uh, account and you know, I tried tweeting about crypto on my old Twitter account, and it I hadn't really used Twitter for years, so no one really saw any of the posts. And I just thought, you know, I'm gonna start a new account and just follow crypto people, NFT people, and, and you know, network that way. And yeah, I mean, the name Zeneca, it I was just sat down on my computer one day and I was like, what pseudonym can I come up with? And I'm a big fan of Stoicism and the Stoic Seneca and Zen Buddhism, so it just just came to mind this new amalgamation of the two uh and then Zeneca was taken and I was 33 years old at the time so I made it Zeneca 33 and that's that's where it came from
0: and you have now almost 33,000 followers so would that be a perfect moment to freeze uh, your follower count once, they, <laughs> once you get there
1: <laughs> well maybe we go for 333,000 <laughs> okay okay it's uh, yeah it really is ridiculous that i have that many followers right now i mean Three months ago i think i had less than 500 and i mean it's such a new account it's just blown up and yeah
0: it must be the the value you're sharing on on twitter i I would love to get go into that later because i i'm really bad Hmm. on twitter um and you also have uh, your profile picture as you as you mentioned your pseudonymous so it doesn't show you it it shows a an avatar and i mean you own so many nfts what made that one that's special that you put it in your profile picture?
1: Sure. So it's uh, an ape from the Bored Ape Yacht Club, which is now one of the most popular NFT projects there is. Basically, before this, I had a different NFT project as an avatar. And funnily enough, it was a, another ape from a project that launched a month or two before the Bored Ape Yacht Club called Ape Only. I think maybe not a lot of people know about it. It was before this whole avatar craze. And there was only a thousand of them. And it just didn't really catch on the same way as the board Ape Yacht Club did. But when I first got my Ape or Apes, I bought three around the same time. Part of the reason for buying them was because on Twitter, I just saw all these people with Ape avatar um, profile pictures popping up, talking to each other, networking, following each other. And I sort of sensed this movement happening, this rush towards... Twitter profile pictures and community NFTs and, and avatar projects. And so because that was a big reason for me buying an ape in the first place, I, I pretty quickly changed my avatar to an ape. And it's basically been there ever since. The The only difference I've made is uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had my friend Jamie create like a back... Oh, he, he took my ape and put it on like a, an art blocks background. So now I have a uh, Ecumenopolis is the, the art blocks project that's the background of my avatar.
0: So you have um, a combination in the profile picture.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I love art blocks and I love the board of your club. So it's really perfect. I
0: think we have to dive a little bit deeper into those projects afterwards. Um, so a, a lot of crazy stuff happen, actually happened today. So maybe yeah. r- we can d- dive into that. Uh, Visa bought a uh, CryptoPunk, for instance. Yeah. That, that's I big. woke up
1: to that news. That was huge. Obviously, more and more people have been, you know, looking at NFTs and and thinking about the space and yeah, just to have Visa, this massive corporation essentially buying a a CryptoPunk, any NFT really, but a CryptoPunk specifically is, I mean, in in one sense, it's a stamp of approval, seal of approval saying, hey, we realize there's value here and, and we want to announce that to the world, but I mean, in another sense, the whole crypto and NFT movement is sort of against what Visa and these traditional finance institutions are all about, where they're acting as the middlemen, where they're taking significant percentages off our transaction fees and where they're charging high interest rates and stuff. Um, So yeah, there's a bit of conflict in the community about whether this is a good thing or not, but I think it's indisputable that it's put a lot of attention and, and media on NFTs specifically. And just today, we've seen the floor price of CryptoPunks go up. Last I checked, 30 or 40%. And I mean, it was a 50th floor yesterday. Now, it's it was 65, ETH. And this, I mean, that's significant money. Uh, and sort of everything in the entire space seems to be going up accordingly. And uh, I, I think that's sort of what happens when a project as large as the CryptoPunks has such a significant amount of money pumped into it. I think in the NFT space, all, like most of the people who are selling CryptoPunks now, they've been in the space for ages. And they're not the type of people who are just going to take this ETH, turn it into fiat and withdraw it or even just sit on ETH. They're so invested in the space that they're going to put it into other NFT projects. And so the money just flows throughout the ecosystem. So it really is big news and it's good for anyone that's currently in, in the NFT space. And if you're not, it's still, I mean, it's still so early that, I mean, it's still a good time to get in, I think.
0: Yeah, and CryptoPunk obviously is one of the earliest, uh, would you say is even the earliest project that is out there? Or is it just, why would you say has CryptoPunk this special standing in the NFT community or in the crypto community?
1: Uh, it It's not the first NFT project. There are some earlier projects and they have lately been getting a lot more attention and their prices have been going up. But it's sort of the first project that, went really big and mainstream and, and this first avatar project where people started using these crypto punks as status symbols and as identities and it, it sort of became a culture in and of itself and and it's just thought of as like mm. a pivotal point in the nfc timeline it, it was like the first project that really gained traction yes there might have been some previous projects but they were sort of lost and forgotten about and they're only being dug up like lately in the last several months whereas CryptoPunks, you know over the last 12 18 months even when they were first released people some people at least saw the value in them and like it's a, it's a proof of concept really um is what they are uh, everything that we look at in the empty space now probably own owes something to the CryptoPunks.
0: and you also just today or yesterday tweeted something and you basically showed this crazy spreadsheet of all your nfts i i assume you know like what you're personally holding
1: no uh, that's actually i i tweet out every day a spreadsheet of well two usually one is just all the projects that i'm tracking so it's the floor price of CryptoPunks, punks bought up your club all these avatar projects some generative art projects and then the other one is just art blocks specifically and so it's not necessarily what i'm holding i do own a lot of the things that i i Put on the spreadsheet, but some of them I don't own. But I I put them out there because I know people who follow me are interested in tracking those prices.
0: All right, and just just to remind the people, uh, what, what exactly is the floor price and the the, the ceiling price? Just um, for people of who might not be familiar with that term. CryptoPunks? punks. Uh, no, no, not not the number. Just w- Oh, what the it concept. Exactly okay, so how do uh, you measure it?
1: Yes, of course. So the floor price is basically the if you wanted to buy say a cryptopunk and you went into the secondary market the floor price is the cheapest available cryptopunk or the cheapest available nft of a set collection uh so i'm looking at it right now uh, the current lowest priced punk available is 66.6 6 eth so 221,000 us dollars if you wanted to buy one uh and then it just obviously goes up from there some are going to cost more cuz they're rarer and have different traits and, and things like that but that's generally what we think of as the floor price, and it's a pretty good indicator of what the like the value of a specific collection is. Obviously, it doesn't tell the whole picture because you know there's average moving prices, there's the ceiling, um, and the floor price is just an asking price. Maybe no one's actually going to pay that amount. But for projects that have high activity and uh, generally trade, you know, dozens if not hundreds of of NFTs a day, then it's a pretty good measuring stick for how how well a project is doing. And, and most of the other um, measurements sort of are correlated to the floor price. The average price will be correlated to the floor price. And the ceiling is a little bit different. The ceiling is sort of the highest sale has ever been of a particular collection. Um, and so, I mean, that's just a different thing. And different collections are going to have different ceilings based on, I guess, how rare the rarest thing in a collection is. So with CryptoPunks, you have aliens, and they're just like extraordinarily rare. Uh, I don't know the exact percentage off the top of my head, but there's very, very few of them. Um, and so, some 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 of them are selling for like five to ten million dollars, mm-hmm. and or if we use ETH, say like four thousand ETH. And then in the of Yacht Club, it's another project where the floor price is really high. It's twenty five to thirty ETH at the moment, but because of the way the sort of the traits are laid out and the rarities are, there's no one ape that is going to be so or like once like handful of apes that are going to be so rare that they're going to fetch thousands of ETH like or at least that multiplier of the floor Mm -hmm. um so the ceiling of the board of your club I think the highest sale has been it might have been today at around 400 500 ETH which is still a lot of money but it's not
0: millions yeah well yeah 500 would be
1: yeah, 1. 4, yeah, I think it was 1.4 million someone said. I, I didn't actually see it. I was distracted with upblock stuff, but um, <laughs> yeah, it really is it's just getting crazy the amounts of money that people are, are spending on these things.
0: I think we have to explain what, what are rarities, etc. How I understand it is it's like, let's take the example of CryptoPunks. Then some have like glasses, some have a hat, some have like a cigarette, uh, et cetera. And then people are figuring out how many of those exists, And then with the aliens you mentioned, I think there's around 8 or 12 out of 10,000 different-ish CryptoPunks, right? Does that sound yeah, about right? Yes, something like that. Yeah.
1: It, yes, yes, it does. It's They're extremely rare. And I mean, it's it's like any collectible in the world, in history. The, the rarer a thing is, the higher price is paid on it and oh, is placed on it rather. And you know that's for whatever reason, supply and demand or status symbol a bit of both Um, but yeah generally the rarer a thing is the more it'll it'll cost
0: and and apparently today also someone bought a pixelated image of a rock
1: yeah so that's another thing that's been happening lately (laughs) these things called ether rocks um i have not been following them closely except that i know that they have been going for ludicrous amounts like hundreds of eth Mm -hmm. um I, i think that they were like a really old nft project and That's part of why they're fetching such crazy prices. But yeah, it's just at a certain point, it's, uh, again, it's a status symbol or it's just like a bragging game. These billionaires saying, hey, look, I can spend this much money on a rock, Mm etc.
0: And I think it's safe to say that the last couple of months or maybe even the the, the last year was all about NFTs, right? Could you... For people who, who are you know not in the NFT game, who m- might have heard about CryptoPunks, might have heard about this new thing, uh, NFTs, they, maybe they have seen the, the NBA hotshots, but can you paint the picture with also with numbers, like, you know, what has been happening in, in terms of like price appreciation? Um, you know, like s- some things you bought, let's say a couple of months ago, you bought them for, for pennies and now they are worth a couple of thousands of, of dollars. Do you have some examples that you would be comfortable sharing?
1: I can give you the craziest example. I mean, I'll give you two examples. One is the less crazy one, and that's the Bored Ape your Club. So I bought them, I would say, roughly three months ago, and I paid 0.5 to 0.7 ETH. ETH, I think, I, I can't remember. It was probably around 3,000-ish at the time. Uh, and now the floor price of those are around 25 to 30 ETH. So that's 50 x let's say in three months on you know in a non insignificant investment that's if we're talking us dollars that's uh you know a couple thousand close to a hundred thousand now the other more crazy example is a piece of art called fidenza so fidenza is a project on the artblocks platform artblocks essentially allows artists to release generative art which is uh art created by code, so the artist will write some code uh it'll it, when the user goes to the website and and mints it or buys a piece, essentially it uses their unique like a unique identifier and creates this new piece of art based on the code and uh yeah, I mean it, it's just I, I could spend an hour talking about art blocks, but mm-hmm. essentially they were minted for point one seven I believe at the time, and this would have been early June and the floor today is close to 200 ETH. So, I mean, that's, that's math that, <laughs> Wow. yeah, it's, it's a- just ludicrous earlier today. There was a sale for 1000 ETH, the highest sale on our blocks. And it's like three and a half million for a single Fidenza and there's a thousand of them or 999 if we're being very specific and yeah, they're just so coveted and I guess desired by the community now. Um, they're, they're a mixture of great art, uh, technological, you know, some like amazingness and status symbol and scarcity now because there is only nine hundred ninety nine compared to say ten thousand punks and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I actually, I actually had four, but I sold three of them a long time ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh well.
0: Wow. But but okay. So these and the apes would be the ones that you, you know, like you had the biggest return so far.
1: Yes, I would say art blocks in general. So not just the Fidenza. I own two to three hundred pieces on art blocks. Um, Fidenza is by far the most expensive of those. Most of them are, you know, within the one to ten ETH range. But uh, yeah, a lot of them I bought for fractions of an ETH. So uh, that plus the board apes is yeah, where I'd say I'd have the most gains.
0: That's absolutely mind-blowing and you it just really right now we had to postpone this interview for for a little bit because you were minting again on art blocks some new artworks for, and just for people minting means basically you are creating the artwork you are it's the first well you you're, you're, create- you're,
1: you're you're paying you're basically buying the art but it's not just buying it because wrapped into the process of buying it is the creation of the art so yeah. yeah, the artist has written the code. When you click the mint button, it uses some randomization or pseudo randomization to create the art like sort of in real time. And that's what you're paying for. So you don't actually know exactly what you're buying. You have some mm-hmm. idea of what like you can see some sample mints, but yeah, you're buying it's, it's a bit like, um, they always say it's like an, uh, like an art blocks vending machine or a lottery where you, you, you know, you pay some money, press a button and you don't know exactly what's going to come out, but you have like some idea.
0: Mm-hmm. And is is it, um, without wanting now to go too deep yeah. into the details, but I'm really curious if you mint on art blocks, uh, I, I mean, I guess the artists before, they must have done thousands or a couple of test runs to see yeah. what kind of art comes out. But the rarity, is there also like, is, is that like statistically, you know, like provable? What kind of rarity is out there? Is it more like a feel? Ah, a lot of them are yellow and I have the only one which is, purple so mine must be probably a bit more valuable than the yellow ones does it work that way or is there more like statistics that you can go through that are provided by the artist or or maybe you know crowdsourced by by the community
1: Uh, a bit of both actually so the artist will include traits for each mint so say the color palette and there'll be a certain percentage chance of five different color palettes and maybe some of them will be more rare than others and because it's only a certain percentage chance, when, say, a 1,000 are minted, the artist might say 12% are yellow, but maybe only 2% come out yellow or maybe 25%. They don't actually know because, you know, that's the way luck works and randomization works. Um, but, yes, at the end of a, a a collection, when they've all been minted out, uh, there are websites where people analyze these traits and can say, oh, you know, there's only seven of this color, or there's only 12 with this pattern, or there's 800 that have this. And so that that's le- less rare and more common. And so you can definitely break down the rarities that way and sort of analyze what is rare and what isn't, but a lot of what drives value is not necessarily the statistical rarities, but just aesthetics. Cause it is art at the end of the day and what people like and what they see in a certain thing, um, and what the community sees, it will place higher value on certain traits and than others. And so golden rule of art blocks is basically buy what you love and can afford. So if you like something, you wouldn't hate it if the value went down. You know, it's a piece of art you're going to hang on your wall or your digital wall or whatever it may be. Then it's just a good place to start. And yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And now uh, you, you just you just minted some right now, um, some other yes. ones. Yes,
1: a project called Rapture. It, it is a really interesting and exciting project to me it looks different than almost than most other things in art blocks maybe there's some similarities to one other collection but um yeah it's just really cool and amazing like the i've seen i haven't like we as you said i just minted before we jumped on the call so i haven't looked through the whole collection but the ones that i've seen there's like a really wide diversity in in mints so but they all look great and so that's like the mark of a good collection is when you can mint out 500 or a thousand and have them look like they all belong to the same collection, but they're all individually unique and they all look good. So the color palettes work and the layouts work. And it just, it's just a really cool collection. I'm excited to see, I guess what value the marketplaces on them. And, you know, if, if it places a lot of value, then the ones I minted are going to be worth more and that'll be great. And if it doesn't and the prices go down, then I'll be looking to buy some because I place a lot of value on them.
0: How many did you, did you mint? what is normal for such a mint like I guess uh, it's I also four. getting crowded for
1: it is getting crowded yeah. so um yeah so they have this Dutch auction style now. So say go back two months ago when even maybe a month ago, if you wanted to mint something on ArtBlocks, they would say this project is being released on this day, the price is 0.1 and essentially there'd be a huge gas war. So what that means is that if there's 5,000 people trying to mint this thing, which is only 500 or 1,000 of, then people would increase the gas that they pay, the transaction fee they pay for the Ethereum network. And those who pay the most are essentially going to end up with the piece. And for a piece that costs 0.1, the effective cost might be 0.5, 0.6, with most of that money going to the miners. Now they've introduced this dutch auction method where they say the price will start at say two or three eth and then every five or ten minutes it will drop and that way people who can afford or want to pay more can mint at a higher price without the gas war and the market sort of decides what fair market price is for a certain piece and mm. so that that's what has happened lately and it has curbed the craziness like there aren't that many people rushing in at, at the immediate price but with this drop there was so Thousand mints. I, I got four. I use multiple wallets, which I mean, some people do that, some people don't. It's uh, up for debate with how ethical or, or moral or whatever that is. But um, I know that many people do it and I don't necessarily feel too bad about it. And um, I mean, especially because I'm not really looking to flip. I think there are some people like opportunist, op- opportunists who do that. And especially in the olden days, they would use bots to front run and get lots and lots of mints and then immediately flip them. And Anyway, that's a whole other rabbit hole we can get down. But yeah, I minted four. I'll usually try and mint one to four, depending on the project, how much I like it, how much I can afford at the time, et cetera.
0: All right. Hey, and uh, I think it would be interesting to get to know you a little bit better. Um, you mentioned before to me that you are living in Germany and mm-hmm. you have an Australian accent. I mm-hmm. thought in the podcast, uh, British, but no, yeah. now uh, it is something different. Uh Yeah. So yeah, I- a lot of
1: people say that, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm living in Germany. I'm born in Australia and I grew up in Australia. We, me and my partner, we moved to Germany two and a bit years ago. Cause she got a, uh, a job offer over here basically. And we thought it would be cool to live in Europe and travel and, and see some more of Europe cause it's so difficult to travel to from Australia. Um, so yeah, that's how we ended up here in, in Munich and we intend to be here for another two or three years and then go back to Australia before nfts and before i guess before coming here i was a professional poker player so i was i did that for basically 15 years i went high school i sort of started playing in my last year of high school and then went to university and was very much into poker and not at all into my commerce degree which is you know accounting and and law and that kind of stuff which 18 year old who's can, you know, play online poker and make decent money. It's very difficult to get them to pay attention to university. So after six months, I, I dropped out and decided to do poker full time. And yeah, I basically did that for 15 years. And I mean, there's a lot of story in in, in those years, but, uh, mm. it basically took me to getting into crypto and NFTs. I think a lot of people from the poker world found themselves into the crypto world, just because there's, it's just a natural transition, I think for many reasons
0: yeah i heard that too i wonder why that is uh, i've never played poker i barely can play <laughs> mm. normally but I, I heard back in the days it was kind of like when the online po- poker started it was easier and nowadays it would be much harder to make a living playing poker and yeah it it really came just to almost like playing chess where where, where program i mean people are using probably programs mm. and statistics etc and it has got much more competitive would you say that's that's the gist of uh, the poker poker playing last uh, five years. Uh, it's Pretty compressed. much, yeah.
1: I would say, you know, when I first got into it, 2005, 2006, even up to 2010, 12, it was really, like, I don't want to say easy to make money, but easier. And the games were softer. And there was less of these bots and um, computer programs that were not just playing for people, as some people use now. People use bots to play. But assisting people, like the software that people could use to analyze their own game and get poker theory in general back in 2005, is just so different to what's capable now. And now you can, you know, put hands and scenarios into a program and it will basically tell you exactly how you should play in a game theoretically optimized way in in these situations and that situation. And uh, now it's sort of like this ongoing battle between humans and bots and, and, I guess now, like the websites as well, or the the poker platforms and the casinos, to fight these bots and find ways to make the game unbeatable by bots or more interesting, and they do that by new variations of poker and other things. But um, yeah, I, I sort of played most of my career online up until 2016 or so, where they count they banned it in Australia effectively, and then I played live poker for a few years, and then. Did a little more online when we moved to Germany, but uh, yeah, transitioned into crypto and haven't really looked back. And I don't miss it really.
0: That's so interesting. Uh, so you never in quote held a real job after uh, after high school. No, you've been making no. money online
1: uh, since ever. Pretty much, oh. yeah. And how? I mean, that, that that's part of why you... the transition to crypto is so easy because. I didn't have to quit a real job. I didn't have to go to work every day. I just decided one day, hey, I'm going to direct all my attention. Instead of playing poker and figuring out poker, I'm just going to spend some time on crypto. And yeah.
0: How much money could you do playing poker back in the days? I mean, I guess an 18-year-old person, uh, you know, like out of college. uh, I could have made
1: millions, really. Like, it was so easy back then. And I mean, if I... If, if I like put my head down, studied, played and didn't waste all my money and didn't, you know, go traveling and drinking every day and, you know, partying and, and all that kind of stuff. um, it, it would have been not difficult to make literally millions of dollars when I was 18 to 23, 25. Um, but I was lazy and I didn't do any of those things. I, I mean, I did it to some extent and made decent to good money. But um, yeah, I mean, there was plenty of money to be made and many people did make tons and tons of money and continue to make tons and tons of money at poker. Uh, it's just more difficult now, yeah.
0: Okay. And how would you describe your job now? Hmm. What are you doing day in, day out? I mean, if somebody asks you who who might not be familiar with the crypto world at all, what do you say? If like you go to Germany, you walk through the street, and you get to know a German person, to say, what are you doing f- for your living, good sir?
1: <laughs> nice accent. <laughs> um, I mean, the basic answer I tell people is I trade crypto. Currency, like if if i'm getting a haircut or like you know the doctors and they ask what you do i don't want to explain nfts and all Mm. that and i think just leaving it at crypto is a really nice high level answer but if it's you know an, an old friend that i'm catching up with and haven't seen in a while or family member that i haven't spoken to in a while then um it's a bit harder to explain i mean i don't even know myself really what my job title would be it's some weird amalgamation of uh art dealer not dealer (laughs) but like art buyer and seller art trader uh you know nft trader although it's less trading now and more just holding and uh i mean i have my newsletter i have my podcast so i do create content as well and i guess that's sort of what i want to do a bit bit more of now and yeah the last couple of months has been a lot of buying and selling nfts but i don't really want to keep doing that it's just not the Mm -hmm. most healthy balanced life
0: hmm and um you you're also very successful at it, obviously. I, I read today in your in your tweet that you, you crossed the uh, the two coma clubs, so to say, yeah. the the seven figures uh yeah, worth of NFTs. So you hold NFTs worth more than a million US dollars right now.
1: Yeah, it's really ridiculous. It's still I struggle to wrap my head around it. Um like I, I actually calculated my portfolio today for the first time in a month or six weeks and it just doesn't feel real yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can because imagine.
1: like four months ago when I first got into NFTs, my entire crypto portfolio was less than 100K. And, hmm. uh, you know, I had some NFTs, I had some Ethereum, I had some Bitcoin, I had some altcoins, I had some shitcoins, I had all sorts of stuff. And yeah, I mean, it was doing okay. But ever since getting into NFTs and having the whole NFT space explode, and I guess I was early enough, I mean, we still are early, um, but. Yeah, the amount of money and new people coming into the space who are willing to pay 10x, 50x, 100x what I paid for things a few months ago has just really increased the value of my holdings more than, really more than my wildest imaginations even a few months ago.
0: That's, yeah. I mean, to be honest, when I hear this, I think, man, I missed uh, the train totally on that one.
1: A lot of people sort of did because, I mean, they saw it happening and maybe didn't dedicate the time and brain space into understanding it. And maybe they thought it was a fad and it was going to come crashing down. And, you know, it very well may have, there was no, no way of knowing that this is where it would have led to. Um, but yeah, I I don't think you've missed the train. I don't think anyone has missed the train. I think we're very early still, like in the grand scheme of things, I think NFTs are going to change everything in the world. So, and it hasn't really started.
0: I mean, NFT is such a broad term as well, Mm. right? I mean, it could mean basically anything, Uh, but I have one idea that I came across Mm. today, which was basically saying something along the line of, um, so if I was a young person with less than 100 ETH trying to make it in crypto, I'd flip NFTs. It needs relatively low capital requirements with high chance of multiples. And when you're young, you're literally constantly thinking about what's cool. So you have like a good asymmetric opportunity and edge. What do you think about that? Is that basically what you did? did, did have you always known what is cool, what is going to be cool yeah, in mm-hmm. the future? Is that like a trade that you need was, as NFT trader?
1: Was that quote by GCR? Uh,
0: that was by... Uh, uh, his name is Danger. No, I, I don't I, even know him so well. but I read actually,
1: something about that. Maybe the same thing or something very similar. Anyway, um, that is... I, I don't really think that's... Like I, I haven't always been at the forefront of what's cool and, you know, I missed the initial crypto wave for a while. And I do agree that it is, if you're young and you have less than hundred ETH, if you have less than one ETH, I mean, even if you have nothing, you can still start in NFTs and you can make, like if you hustle and, and try hard and take advantage of the opportunities that are around, you can make good money just because it is so early and there's so much money flowing around that it's, uh, like the opportunities are crazy. If, if you have nothing, that people are giving away NFTs on Twitter and in Discord, and there's raffles, and you can get your start that way. And yeah, if you do some research and find you know projects where there's a lot of hype, and that maybe if you understand how to mint and get in a mint day, maybe you can flip for two x, three x, four x in the right projects. Obviously, it's high risk, and that's why it's recommended for those who are younger and maybe can afford to take the risk and don't have families and, and children dependents and and aren't leaving a real job, quote unquote. But um, yeah, I, it, I, I would say that the opportunities to multiply your money is higher and, and uh, it's easier to do in NFTs at the moment than honestly, maybe any other area in life, just in terms of the risk reward ratio, obviously with crazy rewards that are in the NFT space and the high multiples that you can you know 10x your, your money, the, there is going to be high risk. you just can't have that without risk but it feels to me like the risk is relatively low compared to the upside. So, and the upside seems so big at the moment, just because of how early we still are and how seismic the shift is going to be in the NFT space and in the world, really, in my opinion.
0: And one of the risks uh, I think one I can see, and uh, I would like to hear your take on that is that. As it is a non fungible token, that you have like this liquidity problem that mm-hmm. uh, you, you might have seven figures now, but if you want to sell it, I mean, it would take a long time to get rid of that. Is that correct? Or what is your experience with selling the NFTs? Um, how quick does that go? And
1: so at the moment, it goes very well. I think if I wanted to sell my entire portfolio, I could probably do it in 24 hours. Well, so, but that's because the market is so hot. That's because there is so much demand and so many people wanting in right now. It is difficult to say what will happen when well, it may not be that difficult to say. But when when the market cools off, when there aren't all these new people wanting to get into the space and spend big money, um, perhaps there is this liquidity crisis where there aren't enough buyers and things crash a lot, really hard, and all of a sudden something that on paper was worth $100,000 or you know 50 ETH, 30 ETH actually now. Um, you know you might be struggling to sell it for 20 percent of that and we haven't really properly lived through that yet i mean there was a market correction and crash in february march but the market was a lot younger then than it is now we have so many more people in the space now that yeah it's hard to say what will happen um i don't think that i mean i don't see there being an issue with liquidity during a normal market and during like a hot market. I think it's during the bear markets, that's where it's going to struggle. But a big part of my strategy and approach to NFTs is most of the things that I buy and have significant holdings in are things that I'm happy to hold for several years if need be. So I'm not necessarily worried about prices crashing because I believe that there's a good team developing the the project behind the NFT or because I think that the art has provenance on the blockchain and eventually, you know, the whole space will blow up enough that people will value it maybe not in one year. If, you know, if we go in bear market, but five years from now, they'll look back and say, hey, that actually is really, really cool. Um, and some of the stuff, you know, if it goes to zero, I'm still happy to own it because I, I like, just like it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but the liquidity thing, it, it can be tricky. Like if you if you really need liquidity in a pinch, you obviously can't just go on Uniswap and swap coins like you can with traditional crypto uh, you do have to list every individual item for sale and uh, someone has to come along who wants to buy your specific item um, but yeah i think the market is as it grows and matures and gets more people invested the liquidity issue if we want to call it an issue is just going to get better and more manageable because there are going to be enough people willing to buy most nfts not all there some are gonna probably crash to zero that's for sure
0: mm. and how did you um you know like what? what's the origin story? Was there like a moment when it may click like NFTs, that's the next big thing or NF- was it like more opportunistic or was it something like that was spoke to you that maybe you had collectibles in the past or, y- you know, when did you realize that that's going to be huge? Because I missed it. I mean, I've seen that it's going to happen and I, I even knew about art blocks. I knew about all this stuff, but just for me to literally put in like thousands of... Mm worth uh, of dollars was always like uh uh, you know like Hmm. i i I can't really do that maybe maybe that's the poker playing as well where you you take risks
1: yeah i think poker players in general are, are more able willing accepting to take calculated risks and i think part of being a poker player you have to have like a disassociation from money and think of money as like a tool of your trade rather than the ends or or whatever you want to call it but so my origin story i guess for nfts was around february i think it was i had my friend jamie my co the co-host of my podcast um i guess he anyway um he you know we we chat most days and he was telling me about how he had some Poker friends who were into NFTs, and he asked me, "Do I know what a hash mask is?" And I was like, "No." And then he started telling me a bit about them, and and it really, it sounded to me like his friends were getting scammed, like <laughs> spending thousands of dollars for a JPEG. And I, I really, legitimately thought they were just getting deeper and deeper into a Ponzi scheme or some <laughs> elaborate scam, and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. But, you know, after a couple of weeks of this, maybe a month, I realized, you know, these are smart people. I know that They're, they've been very successful in poker and in other areas of life. Um maybe I should spend some more time figuring out what's going on. And so I read some articles, I think one specifically by Paddy McCormick, Packy M. He he writes a Substack called Not Boring and he had an article called Power to the Person or Power to the People. And it's sort of about the creator economy and how NFTs can change all that and will change all that. And that really resonated to me. And it made me realize, hey, this is not a scam. There's real tech here. Uh, and, you know, I, I sort of got into the space a little bit then. I was still in tr- into poker a little bit and I was still getting into traditional crypto. And I like the idea of altcoins and and all that kind of stuff. And I was really just exploring all avenues. So maybe I got a handful of NFTs, but nothing crazy. And I mean, the NFT market back then wasn't going crazy either. So, you know, you buy some stuff and the price doesn't really go up or down over a few weeks. It's not really interesting or exciting. And then maybe around April is when it it started really picking up momentum again, April, May. And, you know, I had a few things and they were going up in value. And yeah, I mean, there wasn't really a a moment where I said, hey, NFTs are the future. And that's where I'm going to dedicate everything. I just sort of naturally, I guess, maybe, maybe with the traditional crypto market crashing. There was not much happening there, not much excitement for a couple of months. And I was still not wanting to go back to poker. So I was like, what's going on in crypto and NFTs, I guess is just where cool people were hanging out and chatting about things and fun stuff was happening. And yeah, the board Ape Yacht Club, I started hearing about them on Twitter and everyone was talking about them and I bought some apes and honestly, the rest is history.
0: <laughs> Let's go into the Board Ape Yacht Club for a moment. I think that's super interesting as well, because, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, how I understand it, what I heard about them was, um, well, we already talked about CryptoPunks and that was the first kind of like avatar project where people started using the CryptoPunks on Twitter and on social media mm-hmm. um, as a profile picture. But obviously, as it was one of the first ones and one of the most well-known ones, uh a lot of people were priced out and then mm-hmm. suddenly there was like this new project, which was quite similar around the same amount, around 10,000 mm-hmm. ish, different traits and really a different look and feel though, like these apes, a little bit etchy, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, and the community formed around that project and they got super valuable overnight as well. And I think what I heard is that the CryptoPunks people were not so happy about that in the beginning. Um, is, is that more, more or less right? Or uh, I, I had to word to you, you, you know, the story the best.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. I think it wasn't overnight that they became successful and valuable. So they launched, I don't remember the exact date. I want to say the end of March. Uh, and they didn't actually sell out for like a week. So they sold out maybe a few hundred and then they just sort of was dormant for a week. And then one night crypto Twitter started buying them and talking about them and everyone started aping in. And, uh, that's sort of when they really took off, but maybe for a month, the floor price didn't really go crazy. It was sort of in this 0.2 to 0.6 range for a lot of it. And so that's still sort of affordable for people to get into, but this was when I guess people were really embracing the community aspect, changing their Twitter profiles. The community was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and, say around this time is when a lot of people who had been in the space for you know years and maybe had punks and punk avatars they weren't necessarily hating on the apes or the project but they may have been skeptical that there was going to be long-term value and it, it could have just been a bubble or a phase or just a project that died down because we saw with hash masks that you know value went crazy and then came crashing down and you know there were avastars previous avatar project that didn't really take off in the same way um there, there had been these these phases and these NFT projects that, you know, almost like had bubbles burst where prices went up and then came crashing down. And obviously the apes were different, but I don't think it's wrong or was wrong for uh, the punks to be like skeptical of their success or the chances of them being successful. Um, but yeah, as you say, a lot of people newer to the NFT space wanted some sort of avatar NFT like the punks had and they were priced out because basically for all of this year, it, it was somewhere between... 30 and 100,000 plus to get a punk. Whereas, you know, for a few hundred to a few thousand, you could have gotten an ape for a long, long time. So, yeah, it, it sort of created this community out of newer people to the space. And then, sort of later on, is when a lot of punks and OGs in the space started buying in because they saw what was actually happening and how strong the community was getting and how big the space as a whole was getting and how successful the apes were being and going to be and were continuing to be. Um, yeah, and one I guess important distinction is that with the Bored Ape Yacht Club, when you minted the NFT, you were given full commercial rights to the NFT and and your ape. In a way that with the uh, CryptoPunks and Lava Labs, you were not. So people who minted apes were were able to create you know artwork out of their ape, and if they wanted to, they can and have been able to now sort of like create comic strips using their ape and other apes they've gotten the rights to and things like that. In a way that. Isn't really possible with punks. You need to get, I think, Lava Labs permission to do that with punks. Uh, and if you do it without it, they can send you a DMCA notice to, I guess, stop doing what you're doing. Um, so yeah, that was. It, it wasn't the first time that uh, an NFT project had given full commercial rights, but it's the first time, I guess, that such a large community has formed around it. And part of that is because the team behind the project created it with the community in mind. They they literally call it a club in the name and they had this this thing called a roadmap which you know is very common now all the projects have one but it was somewhat rare back then and they basically said so we're gonna not just sell out this nft project and then you know leave and you guys can do what you want they were like we're gonna add and create value to the community and you know in in various ways and they've continued to to deliver on that promise and deliver on their roadmap and and that has just sort of strengthened everyone's view of them and, and the value of the community and the project. And it's just, it really has gotten to ridiculous points. But it, at the same time, it's hard to imagine prices dropping. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think everyone in a bubble says probably the same thing. I, I can't imagine prices dropping, but yeah, I'm, I'll go on record and say that it's its hard to imagine prices coming crashing down. At, le- at least for the apes, let's say that.
0: For... for- are the other ones? huh You mean like in general, or uh, for the? Are the other ones and apes in the in the yacht club? Or no? not no, 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 are Only apes, right?
1: J- yeah, j- I mean there are only apes there. They airdropped dogs as well, so it's called the Board Ape Kennel Club, which is basically the same. If you had an ape, you got a dog for free. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, their prices are basically correlated. So I think the apes, in terms of NFTs, I don't think their prices are going to come crashing down just because there's only ten thousand of them. The supply is, uh, I mean there are over five thousand. Uh, unique owners so most people who have one they don't want to sell their just one so the availability for someone new to enter the club is getting more and more difficult but there are dozens hundreds of other nft projects that are basically copying what the apes did and trying to find that same success and of those some have been successful and i think some of those prices will come crashing down and i think some will not be successful some will be but that's a lot more risky and precarious market than i would really consider the apes sort of like a blue chip nft similar to the punks and and a few others
0: okay so how do you know it's a blue chip it's like a historic value or just the community is so strong and will endure or do you have like a mental model that you apply to nft projects where you say um you know like for instance i don't know the bitcoiners have the mental model of hey yeah. it, it can be gold and the gold market cap is uh, i don't know 10 trillion so mm-hmm. we have at least the potential to go to 10 mm-hmm. trillion. Do you have some ideas that you can apply when you look at NFT projects that, that you use to, to make comparisons? I don't
1: have like a specific model, but I think age is one of them. So, and, and time is weird in the NFT space. So Bored Apes have been around for say six months, which in traditional finance, and even maybe in traditional crypto, six months is not that long. But I think in NFT time, it is. It, it, it's a significant amount of time. And for them to have survived this long and grown such a strong community, I think, I think has given them what I would say is blue chip status. Um, that said, I, I can't really think of anything uh, less than six months that has evol- uh, elevated to that level. So they're sort of the exception. The other things I think of as, I guess, blue chip NFTs are the punks. They've been around for years and had this value placed on them. Uh, Zed Run, who have this horse racing game, They have a set of Genesis horses, which they've they've been around as a company and a platform for two plus years, I think Um, maybe sort of like Sandbox, which is a a company creating a metaverse where they sell land and they've been building for years, crypto voxels, they've had land for years and things that, yeah, I guess probably the the biggest consideration is time. And if, if value has been placed on the project for all of this time. Then it seems likely that it's going to continue that way into oh. the future. Um, it's it's not like a lot of these things aren't a situation where a new project can come along with better tech and just completely demolish the like survivability of a project just because like um, the community is there and we're not just going to jump ship to the next hot thing. And like, you see what's happening with all these new projects that are popping up and some of them are having new mechanics and new tech, and they're not really overtaking the apes or becoming better than them. They're just sort of different. And a lot of apes will buy those projects as well. Um, but still consider apes, their OG. And I think if anything, uh, apes and punks, the OG, I think if anything, all these new projects are just sort of elevating the original ones to, to new heights. And we're seeing that with the prices uh, accordingly
0: but it it seems to be such a cultural thing i mean when we talk about the the, the bored ape club they were basically or how i understood it is almost a little bit the counterculture culture against cryptopunk you must be so rich that you have a, a mm-hmm. you kind of out price couldn't that the same thing happens that like let's say a new generation comes online they they obviously they also cannot afford now a bored ape they will just start something new and if enough people have this as a profile picture then Uh, You know, you almost look old, probably, if you have an ape.
1: Yeah, no, it'll definitely happen. And we're seeing it happen. Say the gutter cat gang, that's another project. And they've got a floor of several ETH now, but they had a floor less than one ETH for a long time. Now they're, you know, becoming less accessible and new projects are launching. Um, But I don't think that this is going to hurt the apes and overtake them in terms of floor price. Just the way, like in the same way that the apes didn't overtake the punks and and it didn't hurt the punks to have the apes be so successful. Like the punk floor price was 15 to 20 ETH. Now it's close to 70. Ape floor price keeps going up. Punk floor price keeps going up. If a new project comes along and it keeps going up, then I think more money will flow towards apes and punks. So it's sort of, yeah, I, I don't see a new project coming along and being so successful that it takes money away from the apes. I think it'll add to the apes. And then the punks.
0: Oh, okay. It's also it's kind of validating the model also of the yes, exactly. avatar. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, avatar projects like the apes and the punks, etc., is one one thing. You mentioned earlier the generative art project, art blocks. Yeah. So that's really more towards, I would say, art. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about the visuals. It's about maybe the provenance of the the artist. Yeah. The artist has a name; is already somebody in the space. Mm-hmm. And what, what else is there? What kind of NFTs are out there?
1: Uh, so a big one that I think we're we're seeing some of, and going to see more of, is gaming NFTs. So people spend billions, maybe trillions of dollars a year uh, is the worldwide gaming industry. And they'll they'll buy games, they'll pay for their skins and weapons and upgrades and all sorts of stuff. And they have no real ownership over these items. And with NFTs, we have the ability to give people ownership over these items so they can resell them. So they can take them from one game to another game, which is technology that we will get one day. I mean, we sort of already have it. And if you have a really cool item in one game or metaverse, you can take it elsewhere in a way that you can't. If you have a really cool thing in Fortnite, you can't take it to... uh, Call of Duty or World of Warcraft or whatever big game you want to, you want to take it to. And so, I mean, that's one aspect of gaming NFTs, uh, just having ownership over your, your items, your cosmetics. But uh, we're seeing with say Axie Infinity and Zed Run, this sort of play to earn aspect where people can play and earn in-game currency. That's real world currency as well. And the more they play, the more currency they can earn and, and translate that into like essentially a job. And we're seeing that. I mean, there's massive communities in the Philippines and other countries where, you know, maybe it may not be worth it in a lot of uh, Western countries to play eight hours a day for 25 US dollars. But in the Philippines, that is a significant amount of money and can really elevate people out of poverty even, or just to a new level of uh, financial independence. And it's possible because of these play to earn mechanics and because there's someone somewhere in the world willing to pay them for this video game asset or this good that they're creating out of their their work and time. Um, Yeah.
0: No, that's, that's, uh, I I don't know how to feel about that because, you know, like gaming is about relaxing and kind of, uh, you know, like spending your time and wasting time. Right. And then you have people in the Philippines, uh, basically working to play uh but what what is the value creation there i mean it, it's a little bit dystopian to think that there's people like almost like in sweatshops playing <laughs> a game not enjoying it but just making a living playing a virtual game how do you feel about that i mean obviously that's not uh that, that's a specific case it, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the general nft space but i think that could almost be something out of black mirror
1: yeah i mean it, it, i don't think we're anywhere close to that point yet it's we we could see a world i guess where that becomes a reality um i mean at at the moment it's like the amount of money that people are able to earn and that are earning playing these games is and again no one is forcing them to play the games it's like the opportunity is there if they want to they can play and earn this amount of money and yes i can understand that there is a, a timeline in the future where it becomes dystopian but i think in a world where that happens, we'll probably have a lot more worse problems. But you know, it's hard to say whether this will cause that or that will cause this. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. The gaming is meant to be fun and relaxing and, and all that. But you know, I would prefer to play a video game for my living than you know sit in an office behind a desk, you know, doing data entry or you know something like that. Uh, it, for me, it was more fun. I think a lot of people would be more fun. Like I played poker for 15 years it was a lot of people said, hey, you have the best job in the world. Towards the end, even in the middle of it, it, sounded, it, it was like a grind. It wasn't necessarily fun, but I still realize it's better than almost any other job I could imagine. So, yeah, gaming is meant to be fun, and I think it still is. But, yeah, I, some people also enjoy the grind of games. Like there's people who play uh, Pokemon Go, for example, and, and they'll play 12 hours a day doing certain tasks, quests, and, and and they're not getting any financial game. They just do it because they enjoy it or they're they like the rewards and being best and top of a leaderboard and getting experience and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, I think there is a, a line that is blurred. It's a lot of it is going to be figured out as we go along. I mean, this is all new territory for us, but I think the opportunities and the, the tech is there to allow for fascinating, interesting opportunity, like situations, I guess, for, for all.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, definitely plus that's nothing new right i think in world of warcraft they also had like this gold etc where people playing and selling their avatars yeah exactly just then you didn't really have it you didn't really own it so that was even worse because then the game company would just shut down your account exactly and your, your... yeah you
1: had to go on ebay and do like uh-huh. shady deals and sell your account <laughs> and then you had to trust the other person that they'd all that and now it's you can do it all on blockchain in a trustless manner
0: yeah, and you mentioned earlier that you also had, you dabbled in some other, you know, like some altcoins, etc. And I just wonder, um, as NFTs are not exclusive to Ethereum, but Ethereum is where all the action is going on. Every project we mentioned so far in the podcast is running on Ethereum, the Ethereum blockchain. But there's obviously other blockchains and they also have notable um, NFT projects like the Flow blockchain has NBA hotshots and Tezos has Hick and Nunk, which is also Mm -hmm. like a big platform where artists are minting NFTs and selling NFTs. Um, I don't know if you're aware of other ones. And, you know, like, are are they relevant for you in your day to day life or are they just like not worthy to spend time there, basically?
1: No, they're definitely relevant. Uh, I wish I had more time, basically, story of my life to dedicate to learning more and understanding more of these other blockchains and their platforms. Uh, the one that I want to get into the most and I have not really is Solana, because I think that they're doing some really interesting things as a whole. Like I'm a big fan of Solana. I own Sol. That's one of the few altcoins, if you want to call them an old coin that I own. Uh, and I know that they're doing great stuff with NFTs, things that are not really possible on Ethereum because of the high transaction uh, amounts that they can do in a second, and low costs and whatnot. Um, there's a game called Star Atlas that I really, it's literally been on my to-do list to investigate and figure out how to buy and what to buy for months. And I haven't checked now, it's probably 50X, but you know, you can't be upset at missed opportunities in the NFT space as long as you're working and taking advantage of some, because there'll always be something else that you could have done. And uh, Tezos and uh, Hen, Hick, and I can never pronounce it properly. Hick and Nunk. Hick and Nunk, Yeah. That I've been on there for a while. Some of my favorite artists have dropped their work on there. So I really do like it. I think the platform itself is not, I like not just not great to navigate and for finding art and for reselling art. And I know others have concerns about just NFTs on Tezos themselves and and whether they're true NFTs or whether the blockchain is, you know, around to say, but I haven't dug that deep into it, but I own a bunch from Hen And uh, I really like some of the art and uh, there are many artists who drop both on Ethereum and on Tezos. Um, And you can definitely find some great pieces there and it's uh, often a lot more affordable than on Ethereum, Mm. both in terms of the actual pieces and certainly in terms of gas to buy and sell.
0: Yeah, and and since you only buy basically a a text file or (laughs) that's not even, it's not true. You only buy like a description that proves the provenance of your artwork, right? I mean, um, obviously, obviously,
1: for the the most part, you're buying uh, a token which has metadata that points to a URL where the actual image is stored. And so you're not actually technically buying the image because it's prohibitively expensive to store, say, a JPEG or PNG file on back to Ethereum. Um, Mm Yeah, I mean, so that's always a concern. What are you actually buying when you're buying an NFT? And it, a lot of people don't think about it and I think that they should think about it. And that's why certain projects, I think, will always be more valuable where all of the art is stored on chain. Um, uh, you know, different people have different definitions of what on chain is and what they think is good enough for that. But um, yeah, it's definitely worth considering. Um, as one of the things I like most about, or like a lot about art blocks is that all of the, the code that, generates the art is stored on chain and essentially as long as like art blocks can disappear and as long as the ethereum blockchain is around you still have access to your art one way or another um this is slight simplification because you
0: could basically create it in the moment again with the same input
1: yes exactly and and people are creating uh community platforms to be able to view your art so you don't need to depend on art blocks um There's a couple of exceptions. Sometimes they're dependent on a certain JavaScript library or something like that, but those themselves are so widespread and decentralized and they're in like the GitHub repository and the Arctic and like they're they're really, really well secured. Mm And, you know, for some people that's not enough, but for me it is that, you know, art blocks can disappear. It has crashed sometimes. I think back in the early days they had a, a mint and this whole site basically went down and people had paid for their art. And they were like freaking out a bit. And someone mm-hmm. on the team managed to create this new site for people to view their art. That wasn't art blocks. It was just like, hey, you've bought it. You have the token. The code is on the blockchain. Because of that, you can see your art here. And I think that that's really, really cool. It's like <laughs> it, it it probably will live for hundreds of years.
0: Do you, do you have a system to save the image somewhere else as well? Uh, like it's pointing to a URL, but if that URL doesn't point, you know, if there's a 404 there, what mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Do you have a system in place for that? Is there like a best practice that you would recommend? That's a
1: good point. I don't really have a system in place. I don't know of a best practice. I know a lot of the places that uh, these NFTs point to, where the images are stored, are the IPFS, which is uh, I don't actually know what it stands for off the top of my head, um, but basically a
0: interplanetary file system. I think.
1: Yeah, that sounds right. I wanted to say that, but it always sounded too futuristic, <laughs> like interplanetary. But yeah, it's basically a very like pretty safe secure decentralized place but it's not immune to being taken down or having the node you know controlled Mm. um and another one is arweave which is again a really decentralized place to store data Um, i'm not savvy enough to know the technicalities of how it works but for, for many people that's enough if your image files are stored in one of those two places i save on my pc the image files of a lot of my nfts not all of them i don't have a system but Generally, if it's something that I really like and I'm gonna use just in day to day, if I wanna use it in Twitter, if I wanna send it to people, I'll store it on my PC mostly for convenience, just to have it. But yeah, it's not a bad idea to start backing up the images. But I guess the thing is if if the place the NFT is pointing to disappears, then maybe some of the value of the NFT disappears as well. But yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Can, then you know. probably couldn't really trade it yeah. so well.
1: Probably not, but at least for your own sake and sanity to mm-hmm. have the, the images is, is good to have.
0: Yeah. I, I think you should do poems as NFTs that you could have so, it all so on- Someone no cha- has. Oh, okay. I think so, they're called
1: Ether poems. At least that's one of the projects. But yeah, I remember them being really successful a couple of months ago. Oh, cool. It's really cool. And and like pixel art is something you can have all on-chain because it doesn't cost as much to store, mm-hmm. say 100 pixels as you know a big the, image file.
0: The punks are now on-chain, on right? I think they're not.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly. I, an
0: upgrade or something.
1: Yeah, they're. I think for all intents and purposes on chain, but mm-hmm. there are some purists who would say that they're not technically all on chain.
0: Once I wanted to do an interview with, with about Hashmask because one of the founders of Hashmask is in uh, quite close mm. to Zurich and Uh I figured out who 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 it was um he's not officially kind of like known and he mm. he doesn't want to give an interview so i i, I <laughs> but i i went deep there and uh, what happens is like you start to to go down that rabbit hole and mm. suddenly something happens in you and you want to own a piece of the nft you know like i, I think it's yeah. whenever you spend time and researching you suddenly want to have it and I was thinking about putting a considerable amount of money in there just to buy some stuff. Mm. And then I talked to my, to my wife and she was like, <laughs> you can't do that, you know, yeah. like
1: uh,
0: uh, it's not just my money. It's also her money. Of course, so
1: yeah,
0: I, I couldn't do it. And also now I'm happy that it didn't do it because the project dropped yeah. uh, and something similar happened with me bits when, when they started. So mm. it seems to have a really bad nose for NFTs.
1: Yeah, and I think they both bounced back quite a lot but i don't oh. I remember i don't think they're at their all-time highs so maybe when you were looking at them they've still gone down from there but compared to where they were say two months ago they're both up like 3x or something like that
0: yeah because everything is up but why yeah. would for instance hash masks, i mean they were earlier than the the board ape yacht clubs yeah. and they also had like a very interesting community well i don't mm-hmm. know how interesting the community is but i mean they were also in new york and they had a billboard somewhere and yeah so, what makes, for instance, this community less vibrant and successful than another community?
1: I can't say. Like, for part of it, it like, well, partially, I wasn't really around when hash masks were first released in that whole community. I came in like sort of just after that. Um, yeah, it, there's sort of this X factor lightning in a bottle thing where you can't necessarily quantify or explain why this project was so successful at this time it's just i think with the apes it was the right project at the right time when enough people were in the space maybe hash masks um like they had a lot of them but the community wasn't as large in terms of pure numbers or or maybe people weren't using them as avatars as much like a lot of hash masks owners were punks and they'd have a punk avatar and maybe they'd have their, their hash masks in you know, just to show off or in their house or whatever. Whereas with apes, it was just this, yeah, just this perfect storm where it just hit at the right time. People on Twitter were using them as avatars. There were so many new people coming into the space, and it just really resonated. Um, yeah.
0: Do you have some takes with which are a little bit controversial, or mm-hmm. uh, do, do you do you have some projects that really didn't resonate with you that that you kind of like? Are hating on a little bit, <laughs> low key hating on. <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> generally, no, but yeah, I'll say that there is one that I really dislike or has left a sour taste in my mouth, and that's Art Vitars. So they're a project that launched, they were sort of before the Board 8 Yacht Club, and it was the first project that I was pretty excited about getting ready to mint. And the concept was essentially they got, I think, 50 or 60 artists to create different components, and then they would generate uh, a unique avatar based on randomization. And when you mint it, you get one of these. And, you know, they had some really big name artists, this concept sounded cool. And uh, yeah, I was excited for it, it as an avatar project. And the, they had a couple problems. But one was that they priced it on a basically a ramp. So They had 20,000, which is a lot of supply, and they said the first 5,000 will be priced at 0.2, and the next 5,000 at 0.4, and then 0.6, and then 0.8. And this sort of price ramp has proven not to work. Everyone hates it, basically. I mean, if you get into the first 5,000, great, you get in the cheapest price, but then who wants to pay double that just because they're a little bit later? They don't get anything else or different or better. So essentially what happened was they sold out the first 5,000 and then sales stalled and maybe they sold out 6,000 in total out of 20. And the project kind of faltered and didn't really take off. And anytime a project doesn't sell out, there's sort of a stigma behind it and it doesn't seem good and doesn't mean it can't be successful. But um, yeah, so that was like a small strike. But the thing that really put a sour taste in my mouth is that sometime around then they were having a vote on what they wanted to do with the rest of the mints. Were they going to um, release them at a lower cost, or were they going to have an auction or give some away? I can't ex- remember the details, but they had this thing where they were like, let's have a community vote. And I was in the Discord and I I just asked a question, something along lines of um, uh, can the vote be on chain or how do we know that this vote is accurate or like, w- where are the votes being tallied? Like, Is the community uh yeah just i just wanted to know like where the vote was taking place essentially and and how we could be sure that they were going to follow and they just banned me from (laughs) from the discord for asking a question oh no and then yeah and then so i went on twitter and i wrote this twitter thread about it and then it got a little bit of attention but i had like 100 followers then and no one really cared um and yeah i mean and the like the guy behind the project banned me on twitter and and yeah, they just mm. didn't want to listen to feedback. And I think the project has struggled ever since then for many reasons, but um, it's a shame because there, there were a lot of great artists and I really wanted to support the project. And, and no, I ended up selling and, and I haven't really looked back. But um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's about as close to a controversial take as I can <laughs> get, yeah. Okay,
0: no, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, I have to yeah. I have to look that project up. And uh, Yeah,
1: it, it was sort of... Oof. Before the board ate your club came along and just sort of started this new era of, of projects.
0: And yeah, you, you also mentioned it, and I think you're quite open on Twitter about, you know, like the, uh, the ups and downs of, of obviously this lifestyle and the mental tolls it also can have on you or on mental health. Because, I mean, it's relentlessly fast. Every yeah. other day, there's a new project, there's FOMO there's uh you know uh, even even just like <laughs> manually handling um uh, waiting for the right time to mint and then kind of like going on metamask and hmm. doing all the stuff and the i i had experiences where it just doesn't work and you get hmm. mad um can, can you share what, what do you do to stay mentally stable in in, in this high pressure an environment or, or just paint a picture what it is like to be an NFT trader or you were a trader and <clears> you also alluded that now you're changing a little bit your, your strategy.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm trying not to do it as much now. I, I'm not doing as much now just because it, it is exhausting and it is, is difficult to do for, cause if you really want to do it well, you kind of have to be online 16 hours a day all the time, because if you're not, you'll miss opportunities sometimes often the best opportunities you just hear about a project three minutes before it mints out and you have to run to your pc and mint a thing and you have to make last minute very like quick decisions based on very little information oh is this a good project should i mint it is there enough demand am i going to be able to flip it am i not Do I like it long term and uh, and then sometimes you decide not to mint and it goes on to you know moon lots and sometimes you mint and then it just tanks and you realize well i shouldn't have firm it in and then if yeah it, there's a lot of regret and a lot of fomo and you know what could have been and, Things like that, when you're dealing with significant amounts of money that you could have made or that you did make or that you lost or could have lost, it can be difficult to deal with on a mental scale. And I think I'm fortunate in that coming from playing poker professionally for 15 years, the the monetary swings never really affected me super significantly. I, I'm able to mostly disassociate myself from the swings. Uh, but even then, I still have days where, you know, either... I, I lose a bunch of real money or like implied money and my portfolio goes down. Um, or I see everyone on Twitter talking about a project that they minted and has 50X. And I decided for one reason or another not to mint, or I didn't even know about and it completely slipped me by. And you have to realize, oh, well, I missed that one. And it's, it's not easy to do, but I think experience helps. So obviously my background has helped me. And if you're new to the space, then more time spent in the space will probably help and and getting that experience. Um, Realizing that we are still so early and there are so many opportunities everywhere. So even if you miss one, even if you miss a 50X or 100X, there'll always be another one. Like maybe in five years time, I'll, I'll have to stop telling people that we're still early and that there's new opportunities. But I think for the foreseeable future and for probably at least a few more years that there's going to be so many new opportunities in this space. Like we've got avatar projects now. We've got gaming NFTs starting to take off i think the next two years are going to be big on gaming nfts and then if you look into the future nfts are going to you know infiltrate the real estate world the medical world every industry is going to have some tie back to nfts being able to have this provenance and proof and blockchain record of you know anything really is is valuable and uh yeah if you're in the space now and you just keep a level head and you know just don't lose all your money on one risky trade or one risky buy and you, you know you try and invest here and there and grow your bankroll and portfolio um or even if you do none of that and you just sit back and you just learn and see what's happening and do some research and you know you have a normal job and you just wait for an opportunity that you know is good or you, you build an opportunity you create something um yeah I, I think that realizing there's infinite opportunities is is really helpful um but yeah ultimately i think Taking breaks is good, taking time off. Like I'm going on vacation in a couple of days and I'm basically trying to completely disconnect, um, which we'll see how I go. But hopefully, yeah, I really, I think I need it to recharge my batteries and just to sort of uh, get a grip on reality again, because being in the NFT space so much, you just lose all semblance of what's really going on in the world and what's really important in life and yeah, take breaks mm. and yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Exercise, eat well, sleep well, all those normal things obviously help as well. But yeah. Yeah.
0: Since you have seen so many projects, so many NFT projects, and you really kind of like developed a a feel for the market and what works, it doesn't work. um, If you were to launch an NFT project or for anybody out there, maybe listening, wanting to launch an NFT project, what would be your tips for them? Or what would you do to run a successful NFT project?
1: Hmm. I think uh, probably the biggest piece of advice I give most projects these days, because a lot of people come to me for advice. Uh, obviously, I don't know what projects are going to be successful and what aren't, because a lot of things are outside of anyone's control. It's just the right market, loving it, the right people on Twitter talking about it, <laughs> etc. But I think keeping things simple, I think, is really important. I think a lot of projects now trying to do too much. They have this elaborate roadmap. They complicate things with burning mechanisms and deflationary tokens. And, you know, they they have, uh, you can stake your NFT or you can, I mean, yeah, it's cool to see them trying new things and it, it opens the possibilities for what's capable. But I think generally, if a project is just simple, it's more likely to be successful. And yeah, just find something that you're really good at and do that and, yeah, I mean, it, it really is hard to know what's going to work and what's not with the market these days. There's so many new projects, like literally dozens a day being launched. Most of them are going to fail. It's just like realize that if you're trying to launch an NFT project now, you need to be special. You need to be different. You need to be simple. You need to be easy to understand, easy to yeah, uh, market and easy just... Yeah, I don't envy anyone trying to launch an NFT project right now, basically. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
0: and building a community uh, seems to be such an important yeah. piece of community
1: the puzzle. Yeah, community is huge. Yeah, um, having a- active mods in Discord, having a good social media presence on Twitter, and reaching out and having you know giveaways and promotions and, and doing cool things like that. Um, they're all useful and beneficial and helpful. Uh, but you know, you can do all of that, and you can still be not successful just for whatever mm. reasons.
0: And the similar question, uh, but this time more targeted for people who who might be building software tools. You, mm-hmm. you are in a special situation that you have to manage hundreds of NFTs. Uh, you are using tools that are just a couple of years old, uh, websites that are kind of new. I guess OpenSea is probably the biggest one, um, MetaMask. What is a tool that you wish would exist that would make your life easier? What is the most um, annoying thing when you have to handle buying, selling, or managing an NFT portfolio? Uh,
1: If someone can create a tool where it can track every, like just track every purchase and sale and tell me how much tax I have to pay. (laughs) I think everyone in the world would love that because yeah, we're all in the NFT space dreading conversations with our accountants i i have two actually that i have to get back to this week just because it's so (laughs) messy and difficult and uh trying to track it manually is a nightmare i think people are working on this software that we can hopefully in a few months put our ethereum address in and it'll calculate everything and you know figure it out but uh there are other less boring tools than tax that people are working (laughs) on uh a cool one is you you put in your wallet address and it collects every NFT you have and tells you the portfolio value of it based on the floor price of each NFT. Um, being able to see the floor price of projects and like, chart it and graphed over time, that would be cool to see. Um, I know that there are multiple teams and, and platforms working on these projects. So I think in the next several months, we'll see many more of them come to market than there already are. Uh, yeah, but but the tax one, I think everyone in the NFT space really wants that.
0: Uh, That's not just a German thing, the taxes. Because I know they're quite uh, anal about that.
1: Yeah, no, it's not just German. I mean, it's just Australian. And like, yeah, my tax situation is especially uh, tricky because of that. But um, no, I mean, I have friends in America who want something like that as well. I I have friends everywhere who want just an easy way to do it. No one wants to think about taxes and NFTs, but it's, uh, you know, it's an important thing to think about. We're all playing with. Ethereum and it almost seems like play money online, buying and selling. But at the end of the day, if you make significant money and you want to convert it into a house or, you know, whatever you want to buy, you need to withdraw it and pay tax on it. And, uh, yeah, all that.
0: Cool. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Right for, for your time, I think it, it's a good moment now to plug your newsletter. Well, plugging is the wrong word. You, you're much bigger than I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: so I think still. I still think we use plug. Uh, sure. Uh, my newsletter, I only write about NFTs. I try and write a new letter once a week. Roughly, sometimes it's a little more, sometimes a little less. Uh, it's called Letters from a Zeneca and uh, the address is zeneca33.substack.com and uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the biggest thing I want to plug. Obviously, I have my Twitter account and other things going on. But um, yeah, I will uh, release a letter roughly a week. And uh, yeah, come read it if you are interested in the space.
0: And of course, the, the podcast, the uh, Two Board uh-huh. Apes podcast.
1: Yes, yeah, so me and my friends started our own podcast about three weeks ago. Well, we've been working on it for a couple months, but it launched three weeks ago. We have the third episode coming out tonight. Uh, yeah, TwoBoardApes.com is where it is it's it's just uh yeah me and him we've been friends for 15 years he was a professional poker player too we love talking about nfts and we had talked about doing a podcast for many years but we didn't really have a good topic or subject matter uh until now and uh yeah it's just us talking about what's happened in the week and and, uh breaking things down i guess
0: no it's really cool Uh, i listened to both episodes today it was really Hmm. fascinating
1: yeah. thank you so much it's, it's a really crazy world like if you don't understand nfts and even if you do it can be hard to follow like i had my <laughs> my parents listen to it and i am I'm sure that they had no idea what we we're talking about like apes monkeys mm-hmm. what, what are these traits and yeah but uh, uh that, if you're in the NFTs, yeah
0: i understand basically everything you're saying it's just like i don't have the the skin in the game <laughs> with yeah, the, yeah those yeah. nfts huh. and it's like yet <laughs> <laughs> yes that's still true. early yeah <laughs> true true hey um, thank you so much I will- La de luz. if you enjoyed the episode please make sure to leave a review it really helps other people finding the show I appreciate it a lot also shout out this amazing beat is from Luke yeah, written set beats you can find his beats on YouTube he's a really nice guy and let me use this beat um, yeah enjoy I'll, I'll let the beat run for a moment enjoy and then um, see you next time welcome to d